in jail. How many of you ought to be in jail? Just want to see where we're at this morning. And uh, we had said that one time when we were pastoring, the first time we'd ever said it. There was a man showed up that Saturday that just, or that Sunday that just got out of prison on Saturday. And uh, his grandpa took him to that church when he was a little boy. You never know with the bus ministry and all and kids coming in. His grandpa took him there as a little boy, and of course he messed up his life. And he's sitting in prison thinking, my, my, he's got two boys. He said, my boys deserve better than this. So as soon as he got out, he headed back to that church, and I was pastoring it, and I said that morning, how many of you ought to be in jail? He said, he, he thought when I said that, oh, who told him? You know, he's just kind of looking around. His name was Craig. We preached that morning. He come forward and got saved. And uh, then his buddies started noticing a change in him. said, Craig, what in the world happened? He said, well, I went down to that church and got saved. They said, do you think we could come too? He said, I don't know. I'll call and ask. And so he, he called me. He said, I got some friends. want to know if they can come. I said, you tell them to come on. And man, I'm talking about some rough-looking guys, and they're coming and start getting saved. We called them Craigslist. And, uh, man, it was, a, it was a blessing. But I'm glad. He's a good God, isn't he? I'm telling you, what a, what a great God he is. What a joy to be here. We're glad that you're here. And, Brother Potter, thank you for the opportunity not just to preach, but to preach with my son. And that's a, that's a blessing. And um, I wasn't brought up in church, didn't know the Bible growing up. And, and uh, my wife and I were separated when God saved us, put our marriage back together again. And, uh, and then he's blessed us with six children. We had a little nine-month-old daughter when I got saved. And uh, he's blessed us with five more children and uh, six children, three boys and three girls. And all three of our boys are preachers. We've got a son-in-law, the Prince of Bibles in the Philippines, and a daughter and her husband do the best ministry in the church. And 26 grandchildren now. Number 27 on the way. One great-grandchild. The rest of them are just average. And, um, <laughs> but uh, I, I tell you, he's a good God. You know, we, we say a lot of preachers on Monday are wanting to quit, and every Monday I'm saying, God, please don't fire me. You know, I know you ought to, but I promise I'll do better this week. I, I love doing what I'm doing and serving him. He's a good, it, this, is, this is a good life. I'm just telling you, this is a good life. Every good thing we've enjoyed in life has been a result of serving him. And then uh, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. The Bible talks about joy, great joy, fullness of joy, joy unspeakable, but he said no greater joy then that the next generation catches it. Uh, you know, and not even to see that they walk in truth, but just to hear. They may be somewhere you don't get to see them, but just to hear that they walk in truth. You know, and what a blessing. So we're glad that you're here, and, and uh, man, we're looking forward to what God has. Pray for us. We've got um, thoughts that we've tried to put together all week long, and hopefully it'll make sense here. When we pastored, it was great, because we could always try it out on our people, and they go somewhere else and preach it. But now that we're not pastoring, you're the guinea pigs, so here, here we go. Uh, Genesis chapter number 22 this morning, book of Genesis chapter number 22, and what a good book we have, amen. <laughs> Genesis chapter number 22. When you find that, if you don't mind standing with us, opportunity to stretch before the three-hour message this morning, and uh, I'm, I'm just teasing. It's really not that long, it'll just seem it. And... Uh, <laughs> Now, my son, now he can preach long. I'm not saying he's long-winded, but I was there one time. His people were going, Pharaoh, let my people go. You know, so, so anyway, uh, <laughs> old Earl Hughes, an old mountain preacher, he, he, he preaches. I'm just, I'm just looking for a place to land this thing. Then he'd preach a while longer. So I, I'm just looking for a place to land this thing. And he preached a little while longer. I'm just looking for a place to land this thing. Find something in the back said, just crash it. You know, so... <laughs> 
So hopefully you won't be hollering Pharaoh. Hopefully we don't crash and, and everything will be okay. Genesis chapter 21, or 22 rather, verse number 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. I want you to, if, if you underline that phrase in your Bible where it says, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine oldest son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and the knife and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, I want to unline this phrase, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, Son, my, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, I want you to underline this phrase, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon thy lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by the, his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Father, again, thank you to God for the privilege we had to be in this place this morning. And my Father, we mean that from the depth of our soul. What a privilege and honor to be gathered in your house with your people. We thank you for the good number of men that have come out. And God, often we cry out with the psalmist, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth. And oh, dear God, we need some godly men in the day that we live. Not just some good men, but some godly men. And I pray, dear God, that on this day you get a hold of the hearts of each of us and God, just a desire to be here, as Abraham said. And to God, to understand our responsibilities, to understand what you have of us. Father, help us to bring the thoughts you put upon our heart and to get them across in a fashion that they make sense, that God, the youngest person in the building, could understand it. But my Father, would you touch it with such... Holy Spirit power that the hardest heart will be convicted by it. Do that work only you can, and I, I promise. Bless Tom as he comes to preach in a little bit as well. We thank you for him and his, his, the church you've given him and, and uh, his love for you. And build a hedge about him, keep him that way. Father, help us now uh, to bring the thoughts you placed on our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Be seated. Like the preacher said about passing to faithful men, you know, it, it, it not only ought to be that the next generation is faithful, but he said to pass to them the same. We've got guys that are maybe being faithful, but they're not being the same. 
And we need some to be faithful to the same. And, and I'm thankful for that within our, 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 our sons and, and, uh, and, and such that there's no doctrine we need to avoid or, uh, you know, we could talk about any of it. I'm, I'm thankful that they're the same. They, they all preach different. None of them emulate me, and that's, that's fine. I, they're all their own person. They're who God made them to be. That's our desire. And every one of them preach different, but every one of them will give you something from the book. That's, uh, that's what's really needed. But here within our text, we, we've got really the complete gospel message within uh, this portion of Scripture. And Galatians chapter 3, verse number 8 tells us that God had preached before the gospel unto Abraham. And we see in this portion of Scripture really the gospel message. He's, he's taken his only son whom he loved, and they're going to Mount Moriah, which is Calvary. And Isaac bore the, the wood as he walked up the hill. Uh, it's a three days journey and so Isaac is dead in Abraham's mind for three days. Uh, they've got the fire which is a picture of judgment and, and how man's sin was judged on Calvary. We've got the provided lamb where he says God will provide himself a sacrifice. I, I like that because they're there and the Bible said Abraham saw the place afar off. Though they're close, he's looking way in the distance and when he said where is the lamb, Abraham did not say God will provide for himself a lamb. But God will provide himself, a lamb. Uh, we have Isaac on the altar. It's the son is on the altar. There's no rebelling. He willingly laid down his life. Nobody took it from him. We've got the ram, which is a picture of a substitutional death, dying in the place of someone else. We've got the fact that Isaac came back down the hill with him. We've got the, the resurrection. And so the, the whole gospel message is found within this. And as I read through this, I find a statement that Abraham makes um, over and over. Matter of fact, three times the statement is made uh, and I had you notice and underline. It, it's, it's really two different statements. Uh, the first time it says, here I am. And the other two times he says, here am I. Uh, and there is a difference between the way that it's worded and the phrase, here I am, is only found four times in the word of God. The, the phrase, here am I, is found 16 times in the word of God, but this is the first mention of both of those times. The first time that here I am or here am I is ever mentioned in, in the word of God. So I want to just for a little while just preach on the subject, are you here? Or if you would, hey sir, where are you? I see as Abraham makes a statement, the first time he makes a statement, verse number one, it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here I am. God was tempting, testing Abraham, if you would, and sooner or later, every Christian is going to be tested, and it's here that God requires of us to, to prove our love for him. And notice when God speaks, Abraham responds, behold, here I am. There's a difference between here I am and here am I. Here I am speaks of stopping everything and full concentration, full focus is given. It has to do with giving your full attention with a purpose of responding to what is said. Uh, he says, here I am. It's found three other times in Scripture. It's, it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 3. Samuel makes a statement that they've seen him from a child and him and his sons. And he said, behold, here I am. He said, I'm, 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 I'm fully attentive. I've stopped everything. I'm going to listen to you. And he said, witness against me before the Lord and for his anointed. Whose ox have I taken or whose ass have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? 
Uh, of whose hand have I received any bribe to blind mine eyes therewith, and I will restore it. And he kind of lays out, he said, okay, you've watched my life, and, and I want you to tell me, uh, who, who have I ever done wrong? And of course, they respond and say that you, you've not, you or your children have not done wrong. You've been faithful to us, but he, he, he makes that statement, here I am. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm stopping everything, and I'm listening. I want, I want you to talk to me. The next time it is found, 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 12, it says, And Saul said, Hear now, thou son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my Lord. I'm fully listening. I'm here. I'm listening with the purpose of responding to whatever is said to me. Um, the last time that it's found really, really interests me because Isaiah 58, verse 9, he said, Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry. And he shall say, here I am. He said, we can pray and God answers. But then he says, when we're hurting, he said, you begin to cry. It's like God says, okay, you've got my full attention. And he said, I'm I'm listening to you with the intent of responding. Isn't it good that we've got a God that when we go through things in life that it's almost like, I I mean, it's almost like he's willing to say, look, I'm going to put everything else on hold. I'm, I'm, I'm just... I'm, I'm, in, I'm intently listening to what you have to say with a purpose of responding in, in your life. He's a good God to us. And so we, we've got Abraham as now God speaks and he makes that statement. I'm, I, I'm fully listening. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm tuned in. Everything else is on hold. I'm not thinking of anything else. You've got my full attention. And I'm listening with a, with a purpose of responding to whatever it is you speak to me about. Wouldn't it be good if every time we come to the house of God, if men would have that, that mindset? That, that I'm, I'm, I'm fully tuned in. I'm, I'm listening. Here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm fully listening with the intent of responding to whatever it is that God speaks to me about. This is the place every man should be. The word hearken in the Bible is 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 really the, the same thing. It's it's given your full attention with a with a mindset, a purpose of listen. Hold your place there at Genesis twenty two and turn over if you would to Genesis chapter number forty nine. Got your Bible with you this morning, say amen. Hey, it's a good book. Genesis chapter forty nine, Jacob is about to die and he calls together his sons, begins to tell them things that will fall upon them. And in verse number one, it says, Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourself together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. He said to hear, the word hear means to be attentive. It means to be listening. But the word hearken takes it a bit further. It's written in the context of to broaden the ear with the hand. It's written in the mindset of, I'm listening for the purpose of responding. It's one thing to come to the house of God and just listen to what's being said, but it's different to listen with a, with a mindset and a purpose of responding. It'd be good if, if the men, it'd be good if the men, when God would speak, would say, here I am, I'm, I'm listening with a, with a mindset of responding to whatever it is you speak to me about. Matter of fact, the Bible said in Zechariah chapter 7, verse 11, you don't have to turn there, but they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone. 
He said, when it gets to where you're not listening for the purpose of responding, it won't be long, you won't even be listening. And your heart becomes hard. So Abraham within his life is saying, here, here, am I, here I am, I'm, I'm ready to listen. You've got my full attention. And Abraham was not always this close with God. Matter of fact, in Genesis 12, when he first had come out of, uh, of his, his homeland, he, he went to Egypt in a time of famine. There wasn't a lot of faith in Abraham. He told his wife to lie. I mean, that's not exactly a loving husband. He's willing to allow Pharaoh to sport with his wife. And God intervened. And the whole reason he did that, he says, do it for my sake that I might live. He was very selfish. Now, you know, it's a common thing and a natural thing within man without God working on our heart to be selfish. Selfish when it comes to our life. Selfish when it comes to our families. And Abraham is that way. He's self-centered. He's, he's selfish. What, what about me? And it certainly wasn't a sacrificial love as Christ loved the church, but a self-centered type of love. There were times when he failed to obey God. He, Genesis chapter 13, he failed to separate from his family and from Lot as God had instructed him. And there was a lack of separation in his life. There were times he tried to work things out on his own, when he went to Egypt, just one trip to Egypt, he picked up an Egyptian handmaid. And Sarah, desperate to have children, comes up with an idea of Abraham taking the handmaid. And Abraham, knowing what God has promised, should have been a man of faith and said, no, no, Sarah, that's not the right way to go about it. But he seemed too eager and too willing. And took the handmaid and and I mean, I mean, matter of fact, look at Genesis chapter 16 with me and, 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 and the end of verse number of chapter 16, last verse in the chapter. Verse 15, and Hagar bare Abram a son. Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. So he was 86 years of age. Look at the next verse, chapter 17, verse 1. And when Abram was 90 years old and 9. So he gets things in his own hands when he's 86 years of age. And for 13 years, he never hears from God. He wasn't always so close to God and tuned in. When's the last time you've honestly heard from God? I'm not talking about just this is a good truth. I need to do. No, I'm saying when's the last time you knew that God himself spoke to your heart? But there was a place where his life changed. Chapter 17, verse 1, And when Abram was 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. That's only mentioned three times in Scripture. This is the first. He's seeing God in a brand new light. I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect, and I will make my covenant between me and thee. It will multiply thee exceedingly. 
And Abram fell on his face. That's the first time that phrase is found in the Bible. God gets a hold of the heart of Abraham. And he fell on his face and God talked with him. That's the first time often through here God's talked to him, but it's the first time it says God talked with him. There's a new Abraham coming on the scene. And after 13 years of silence and God speaks to him, he sees him as almighty God and when he did, he fell on his face before him. Abraham is a, is a broken, humbled man before a thrice holy God. And God talked with him. This was a life-changing event. He had a place where God really got his attention. My prayers, this would be the place that you could look back and say, man, this is where this is where God really got my attention as a man. And I begin to say, dear God, I'm, I don't want to just listen and say that was good. No, no, I want to, here I am. I, I want to listen with the intent of, of responding to whatever it is you speak to me about. His name has changed. Abraham in this chapter. His life has changed. He is a new man. There's a putting away. Chapter 17, verse number 7. I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Verse 9, and God said to Abraham, thou shalt keep my covenant before thou uh, before, therefore, and thou and thy seed after thee and their generations. That'll be for, for your son and, and your son's sons. And verse 10, this is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. Ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. It shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. What he's saying is there ought to be a putting away of the flesh. And circumcision is a picture of that. The flesh is put away. There's a, there's a putting away. I mean, when God really had, when God really had his attention, his life began to change. And there's some things he put away and some things he wouldn't do anymore. I mean, we're men. We, we, we all know the things that run through our mind and, and how accessible things are on the internet and everything else. But no, when, when God really got his attention, there's a putting away. There was a preparation. Verse number 18. Before judgment falls upon Sodom, verse number 17, then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing, uh, that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him and they shall keep the way of the Lord and do judgment and our justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. God is saying, I, I know Abraham. There's a preparation. He doesn't have any children yet. Isaac is not born yet. But God said, I know Abraham. He's going to be a good father. He's going to be a good, why? Because God is getting his heart. And there's a preparation. God begins to change this man and wants to make of him a, a godly man, a godly husband, a godly daddy, which wasn't seen 
in him before. There's a preparation. He's making him a godly uh, uh, man and husband and, and, uh, and, and daddy. There's a, uh, there's a pursuit that takes place. End of chapter 18, as he begins to, to pray uh, into God. What if there's 45? What if there's 40? What if there's, and he went on down the line. And verse 33, and the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. There's a pursuit after God. We find now within his prayer life, now think about this. Have you ever thought in your prayer life of staying there till God was done? The Lord left off communing and again it's with Abraham. Oftentimes, those that pray We unload everything we want to say and, and leave. But now there's a pursuing in, in Abram's heart to know God. And he didn't want to leave till God was done. There's a prayer life he's developing. You know, Matthew 6 says that he's in the secret place. While in our closet, pray the Father, which is in secret. He's already there waiting on us. I could understand if I was somewhere waiting on God and he decided not to show up. I could fully understand that. But to think that God is somewhere waiting on us and we fail to show up. But it's getting a hold of the heart of Abraham. Abraham is becoming a changed man. There's a pursuit after God. There's a plummet in chapter 20. We find him again telling his wife to lie. You know, when you decide to live for God and do right, you've still got a flesh you're going to carry around with you. But there's a plan. Chapter 21 comes along and Isaac is born and he names his son as God has instructed. He circumcised his son as God had commanded. And now the, the bondwoman is, is put away, which is a picture of, of, of the works and, and, and not faith. And Abraham said, no, I've got to, I really got to get this under control. I've got to put this flesh thing aside because we're always going to have that battle. And he's got that battle that is there, but now there's a plan. And, and now in chapter 22, God speaks and Abraham realizes, you know, I within myself, within my flesh, dwells no good thing. When God speaks, I've got to be there. And God says, speaks, and he says, here am I. And we see now his complete obedience as he, as he offers up his son. And, and, and he never, his attitude is right. He, he never says, I'm going to sacrifice my son. He says, we're going to go yonder and worship. He looked at anything he could do for the Lord as just worship, just loving him. So I guess the first question to ask men is, are you here? There's a God in heaven that really wants to get your heart. Where are you? There's a God in heaven that really wants to walk with you and fellowship with you. Where are you? This can be the place where you fall on your face and before an almighty God and say, dear God, I need that. I want that. The second time that we find him making the statement is Genesis chapter 22 and verse number six and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son, and he 
took the fire, the, the, uh, the fire in his hand and a knife. They went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father. And he said, my father. And he said, here am I. Here am I is different than here I am. Here I am is everything's on a standstill. You've got my full attention. I'm listening for the purpose of responding to whatever you speak to me about. The phrase here, am I, is different in, in the fact that it, it involves activity and involvement. This is what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 6 when the Lord said, whom shall go for us and whom shall we send? And he said, here am I. Send me. When Jacob had called his son Joseph and said, do not my brother feed in Shechem, come and I will send thee unto them. And he said, here am I. So the here am I has to do with, I'm, I'm listening, but it's, it's in, in response to an activity, something that's taken place in involvement within your life. In our text, Isaac asked his father a question. And Isaac knew he could ask his father a question because his father had his heart. And Abraham says, here am I. He basically says, I'm here fulfilling my role as a daddy. I'm here fulfilling my responsibilities within my home. Abraham was not always a perfect man, but Isaac's memories of, of his father were that of a faithful father. All that had transpired was before Isaac was even born. And all he knew, Isaac's memories of his father were that of a friend of God. God had done a work in his heart and made of him a godly, godly husband, a godly father, and all he knows now is his daddy is a friend of God. And this Abraham was not so self-centered, but he's involved in his family. He's got time for his son. It was Abraham's willingness to listen to God that gave him the credibility to lead his family. Oftentimes, the men that are most demanding of their wives and children are the most rebellious to their authorities. You're not a leader because you have a position. You're a leader because people follow. If they're going to follow, you've got to lead. Too many will say, no, I'm the... If you have to tell everybody you're the head of the house, you're probably not. But when Abraham determined that God was going to have his heart, God began to change Abraham. I mentioned I wasn't brought up in church and didn't know the Bible growing up. My wife and I got married at a young age. I was like 14. She was 12. It was Arkansas. Somebody said, where'd you meet your wife? Ancestry.com saw we had so much in common. We thought, why not? No, I'm, I'm that's just wrong. And so, actually, when we got married, Al Gore hadn't invented the internet yet. But anyway, <laughs> we had marital problems and we sold everything and moved to Muskogee, Oklahoma, and thought we just had a fresh start somewhere that helped. Found we just took our problems with us. And my wife ended up going back to Illinois and. I stayed in Muskogee, Oklahoma. She'd made a profession, was getting baptized, and invited me to watch her get baptized. And I, I, I drove from Muskogee, Oklahoma, up to 
Danvers, Illinois to watch my wife get baptized. I spent the night in jail in Missouri on the way there. So I first met Brother Wilhite. <laughs> oh, we're supposed to say that. I'm sorry. I walked in the back door of the church. It was obvious I wasn't a church goer. But I remember how welcome they made me feel. They baptized at the start of the service. My wife got baptized. She fell down the steps in the basement. And I was so low, such a sorry man, I didn't even get up check on her. I sat on that back pew. What in the world am I even doing here? Preacher preached and talked about a Savior that died on Calvary would pay your sin debt and give you a life like you could. Man, the longer he talked, the more I realized that's what I'm needing in my life. I really don't remember how I got to the altar. I don't know if I ran. I don't know if I crawled. I don't know if I walked. I don't know if I climbed over pews. I don't know if I pushed people out of the way. I just knew this is what I needed. And went to an altar and fell on my face, and God saved me. Man, you talk about a burden lifted. I said, I was so happy I kissed my mother-in-law. Never had that much joy since, but anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm kidding. I got a great mother-in-law. God began to work on her heart about putting our marriage back together. See, when you have marital struggles, there's phases you go through. First, you want it to work, but you know something's got to change. Then you get to where you don't know if you want it to work or not. One day you do, next day you don't. Then you get to where you don't care if it works. We stay together fine if we part ways fine. Then you get to where you don't want it to work. You're just done. That's where we were at. But when we got saved, God began to work on our heart about putting our home back together again. And I remember coming to an altar saying, God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be a husband. I don't know how to be a daddy. You've got to do a work in my heart. I wasn't raised in a family that showed a lot of affection. I'm not critical of my parents. My parents loved me. I was not abused much. Just when I needed it. <laughs> I mean, they call it abuse today. There were no hugs. Headlocks once in a while. Never heard I love you. When it comes to my home, I could do one of two things. I could either say, God, that's not me. That's not the way I was raised. I could say to my wife, that's not me. It's not the way I was raised. Or I could say, God, change me. Help me to be the godly man my wife ought to have as a husband. Help me to be the godly daddy my children ought to have within their lives. That young lady, we just celebrated 47 years of marriage. And I'm telling you, I am rejoicing with the wife of my youth. That young lady that you married has one life to live on this earth. And she chose to spend it with you. My prayer is if we ever get old, okay, who laughed? 
Can you do church discipline at a men's meeting? Is that, is that, a, is that a thing? At the end of our life, she's got one life to live, chose to spend it with me. At the end of our life, I want her to be able to look at me and say, that was a good choice. Here am I. Your God is a husband. Help me be the godly husband I need to be. God, here am I as a daddy. Your, your children don't need another buddy. They need a daddy. They need somebody to parent them. If you parent your children while they're young, you can be their buddy when they get old. And I love our family. We're, we're this group text. We're on there every day just texting back and forth and the things. I remember I took my granddaughter one time to get it to McDonald's and one of my granddaughters and she got an ice cream cone and they turned it over in a cup. She's like five years old and so I scraped that off and it looks like she had a cup of ice cream and a cone. So I took a picture, sent it to all my children. I said, can't decide if you want a hamburger happy meal or a McNugget happy meal, no problem, let's just get both of them. Can't decide on an ice cream cone or an ice cream cup. No problem. Let's just get both of them. And then I said, I find I treat my grandchildren the exact same way I treated my children. And then, man, the phone lit up. <laughs> Whatever. I never got a happy meal until I was 22. Grandma got it. <laughs> ice cream? What's ice cream? You know, just... Hey, Daddy, where are you? There's children that need you to be a godly leader in the home. Where are you? Hey, husbands, where are you? There's a, there's a wife that needs you to be the godly leader of the home. Are you here? Psalms 128 says that a faithful man, his wife will be like a fruitful vine by the sides of his house. You know, vine needs something to cling to. You ought to be that security. The vine has something to cling to. They can climb. They grow. Oftentimes, men have come in and said, she's just not the same woman I married. I said, what you married is what she became under her parents' leadership. What you have today is what she's become under your leadership. She's got something to cling to and she can climb. She'll cluster. Abraham went with his son. He said, we're going to worship. First time the word's mentioned in the Bible. But his son knew what it was. We got the fire, we got the wood. Where's the he knew what worship was. First time it's mentioned. He's got a daddy that worships with him. The third time it's mentioned, verse number nine. 
And they came to a place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son, laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called to him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. Again, that statement, here am I, which has to do with being with, with activity, being involved. And what is Abraham doing? He's laying us all on the altar. You know, in Isaac, this was Abraham's whole life. Everything was wrapped up in Isaac. And he's laying us all on the altar. He's realizing because we do have a flesh and we do battle that he's, he's got to live, he's got to lay everything upon the altar. And as he goes up that hill to lay everything on the altar, God is bringing everything he needs up the other side of the hill. Just imagine if he just stopped short. It would cost him his son. It would cost him his future. It would have been a complete different life. Most men never even make a trip to the altar. Let alone lay their all there. You ought to live your life on the altar. As a husband, my wife needs to see me at an altar, bowed down before God, looking to him to help me to be the man I need to be. As a daddy, my children need to see me at an altar, bowed down before God, getting what I need to be as a daddy. As a peepaw, your grandchildren named you. My first grandchildren were going to be Papaw, but he, she couldn't say that called us peepaw. I'm glad she was first because one of Tom's called me Poopaw. <laughs> we got me all Peepaw camp every year. I wear a shirt that says Peepaw. I'm not sure I'd wear one that says Poopaw. <laughs> and I know my wife would not wear one that says Moomaw. I just. <laughs> but my grandchildren, as a Peepaw, they need to see me bowed in an altar. dying to self asking God to help me be the God the man I need to be Genesis 24 1 sums up the life of Abraham now that God has got a hold of his heart it says and Abraham was old and well stricken in age and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things not the way he started but when he first really gave his ear and his heart to God God began to work on him he got his heart and his family with his wife and his children and he began to realize if I'm going to be what I need to be I need to live my life at an altar Five times it's mentioned that Abraham built an altar. Guess what his son Isaac does? He builds an altar. Guess what his grandson Jacob does? He builds an altar. Matter of fact, Isaac, he says in Genesis 26, 25, he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. 
He lived at the altar. And there Isaac's servants digged a well. He got everything he needed, the supplies. He just lived at the altar. His grandson Jacob does the same thing. Five times it's mentioned Abraham builds an altar, and through his son and grandson, it's mentioned five times they built an altar. I don't think that's a coincidence. Daddies that don't use the altar raise sons that don't use the altar. There's a God that wants your heart and him. And he'll work in you and he'll make of you what you need to be within your home. He'll put your heart in the home. Hey, are you here when it comes to your walk with God? Then there's a family that's needing you to be godly men, godly husbands and daddies. Where are you? And there's an altar where we ought to live our life humbled before God. Where are you today? Father, oh, might this be the place that men allow you to change them.